musical podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Thrapp. The podcast follows the development and execution of my new critically acclaimed musical, Good Morning New York. It opens off-Broadway at the Players Theatre, January 9th, 2020. Now, we have a while to go, so if you want to check out shows there, Beauty and the Beast just opened. It is a must-see. I'm seeing it this week, so maybe I'll see you there. Now, you might have noticed I have a new podcast cover. I know it doesn't scream New York or musical or anything about me, but I think we can all agree it's better than the other one. I don't have the money to take a new photo, so I thought it would be nice to have a red dress on on a beach and make it look legit. The photo will be changing, but for now, enjoy me at a beach, which is not actually a beach. This was taken at a lake in Denver in my best friend's red dress. Thank you, Cassie Vega, Denver-based photographer, for giving me that wonderful poppin' red dress that just stands out on the photo. Now, Cassie took the photo, but she's also going to be joining the podcast to talk about a major issue that we've both experienced, and it needs to be called out. Stay tuned for that episode. Future podcasts also include my CPA and I going over the budget. I'm also going to have an Investing 101 podcast, but I want to put this out there now. The show needs to raise 13000 bucks. We all know that. So far, we've raised 1500 through the Indiegogo page. We've also raised a few hundred from shirts and from sponsors. We have a ways to go, and you can still help. If you're interested in donating more than $500, do not go to the Indiegogo page. Email me at Jackie102 at gmail.com. You can also find that email in the link. That's because we are opening the show to investors. That opening investment is $500. Now, I don't want to scare you away. Let me give you a quick summary of how investing works before we bring on such a very vital and important guest to me, to you, and to the show as a whole. So, here's how investing for this show is going to work. Let's say the budget is $1,000. You invest $100. You get 10% of ticket sales after we deduct cost. Because you put in $100, the budget was $1,000. Now, once you get your full investment back, i.e. recoup, so once you get that $100 back if and when a show recoups, then ticket sales are split 50-50 between the producer and the investors. That means you'll get the percentage that you put in on the investor's cut. I will get my producer's cut. Producers, for the record, don't get paid until they recoup until investors recoup. That is how it works. Email me if you want in. Today, I have a financial therapist on the podcast. Yes, this is a thing. And we're talking about the emotional and psychological approach creative business owners like myself, potentially like you, take. Now, this interview is going to get real. No, I do not cry, but I do put a spotlight on a struggle that I am having as a producer. You might have this too. And let me tell you, our talk that you're about to hear has changed my approach 
to the show. So get your pencil and your pen because what you're about to hear might just change everything. I want to cut in real fast and talk about pails. <laughs> hear that? Oh yeah, the sound of pills in a container. I have a partner called Physician's Choice and they've been letting me try some really awesome products like women's probiotics. There's also apple cider vinegar capsules that I've been taking. You can burn up to 700 calories a week. That's like running seven miles, but without the work. There's also stuff for stress hair, nails. This is a Colorado-based company trying to get their name out there. And you know me, I'm from Colorado, so I gotta support the home team. So if you wanna give these products a try, use my code JACK20 at checkout. The link to Physician's Choice is in my bio of this podcast episode. Don't forget, JACK20 gets you 20% off. That's spelled J-A-C-K 20. All right, back to the show. Joining me now is Elaine Grogan Lutro, the founder of Minerva Financial Arts and board member of the Financial Therapy Association. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jackie. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy you're here because I have so many questions about financial therapy and a lot of people don't even know that this is a thing. Yes, that is so true. Or if they hear it, they have one of two reactions, either ew, therapy, I don't want to talk about feelings, or oh my God, therapy with money, I totally mean that. So there's a very sort of polar opposite extreme reactions when someone first hears the word. Right. And explain what financial therapy is. So the idea behind financial therapy is the emotional, cognitive, and behavioral aspects of finance. Um, there are a handful of academic institutions across the country where this has been growing. So there are growing certificate programs and graduate programs and PhD programs in financial therapy. And all of them approach the study and practice of finance for individuals through the lens not only of how do you manage your money and what investments should you be making and, and things like that, but getting deeper to, okay, if you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it, what's going on there? And that's where those emotional, cognitive, and behavioral elements of finance really come into place. And in my work, which is exclusively with artists and arts organizations, these things come up all the time. Because if you're working in a creative field, like making a musical, for example, you know that sometimes the payoff isn't always financial. It's about the creativity or getting the work into the world or the messages it's spreading. And so the idea of navigating success in both the financial realm and the creative realm at the same time is sort of a heavy lift emotionally and cognitively. And that's where the practice of financial mindfulness and financial therapy with someone who's sort of well-versed in some of the nuances of the practice can be really, really effective. And something that took me a really long time to do, and it's still kind of a little push for me to get to do when it comes to creating my off-Broadway show, is going out and asking people for money. And it's hard to like say, hey, can you give me 10 grand? It's just a weird thing to say when you're an artist. It is so insanely hard. And it's interesting to think about the idea of investing in a musical, but 
it comes up as well if you're talking about, you know, what should someone pay me for this work I'm doing? Or what should someone pay me to do an initial reading of their script or something like that, right? Because, right. you know, it's it's bigger than money. And sometimes talking about the money side of it feels like it sort of taints it. It makes it this very transactional thing. So what I suggest um, for people who are having these conversations, as everyone should be, is the idea of focusing on the value, right? If you can sort of craft your pitch around the value that this production is going to bring into the world, right? Not necessarily financial value. That comes a little bit later and that can certainly exist. But this story needs to be told because of these reasons or these actors, producers, performers need to be featured because of these reasons, right? Crafting sort of that aspirational vision around the value of the thing makes it an easier conversation to then invite an investor to be part of it, right? To say, okay, we need upfront $10,000 to launch this. And I really hope you will be a part of that, right? So it sort of changes the trajectory of the conversation from one of, please give me money, good sir, right? Which feels so condescending and, <laughs> yes. you know, it's just, it's just atrocious. And I think sometimes that's where initially we go when we think, oh my gosh, we need money from somebody else. It feels like a sort of begging, you know, power dynamic that is in balance, right? Or not in balance. But if you can change the conversation so it's around the value of the thing and then it's an invitation to participate in the thing, that keeps things slightly more in balance, right? Because humans have a desire to be part of cool things and people who are one step removed from the art or the making of the art, I mean, we think artists and creative people are just gods walking around on the planet, right? You're just so insanely cool. And so the ability to kind of come into that world and be part of it, even if that means, you know, forking over $10,000, that's a privilege. And so changing the dynamic and reframing that conversation can be really impactful. Because I know that I've been to some networking events and it's interesting because you have a lot of people with startups, but they're trying to raise money for an object that they're going to sell. And for some reason, the arts uh, is a little different. It's not really an uh, object you can hold in your hand. You, right. can, you can hold it in your soul, but <laughs> it's, hard yes. to, it's hard to sell that. Well, and it's harder to think about sort of if we do kind of reduce it down just to money, right? If you're building a thing you can hold in your hand, right? Or a thing you can sell, right? Someone can jump on board with the vision of, oh, that's really cool. I can see 45 million people buying that. And there's a very clear potential financial return, especially once you, in entrepreneurship terms, kind of scale the idea so you can make a lot more for not a lot more investment, right? But that doesn't work in the arts, especially in a live performance kind of context, right? There's no scalability there, right? It, unless you're moving to a larger theater or something like that. But that's really just playing around the margins. You're not going to, you know... 10x your return, you know, in a short period of time because it is an experiential kind of thing. So the conversation is a little bit different, right? And sometimes it's around, look, you can break even as soon as we sell X number of seats, right? And then you can do some market research around how likely that is. And so then you're sort of saying, okay, this is not going to be super risky because we'll recoup our initial investment. And then it's just fun. And oh, by the way, there are these other things we're accomplishing as well that have to do with the production or the story or the musical existing in the world. Right. And so what kind of 
when people come to financial therapists, what are the main problems that creative people have? or need help with? Yeah. So in, in my work, and, and I'm speaking just about sort of my experience with clients, um, the biggest thing is sort of a lack of confidence around some of the vocabulary and knowing what to say and knowing what to do. And that comes up with, when it's sort of pricing conversations, but also it can come up in, how do I know what's deductible? And I need somebody financial, but I don't know who that is. And how do I know if they're not sort of taking full advantage of me and, and these other things. So a lot of my work is simply just building confidence and reminding people that mastering a creative craft is way more challenging than mastering some of the financial basics of a creative existence, right? But if you just Google, you know, how to be financially okay, right? The volume of information you get is so overwhelming and goes in so many different directions. But really, if you break it all down, the core of being successful creatively and financially comes down to knowing how much you cost to exist as a human in the way you want to exist, not like the, you know, ramen existence, right? But really kind of saying, okay, this is the life I want to have and this is what realistically it costs. And then the next layer is what does it cost to run your creative practice in the way you want to run it, where you have the time and the space and the resources devoted to giving this thing space and time to breathe, right? It's not just sort of banging out a script in a couple of days and then, you know, launching it immediately. No, it's recognizing that, okay, if this is going to take six months before I see any money, you know, what does that look like and how much do I need to invest personally to get there? And then you add a little bit more on the top of those two numbers for taxes and saving for your own emergency fund and then for your retirement down the road, even if you never want to retire. And then you get to a total number and then you figure out how to make that much money. And for many creative people, that means you're earning income from a variety of sources. And so sometimes it's just a matter of identifying the framework for how you're going to get money, whether it is initial capital for a production, right? Or to give you that space to let the production kind of breathe and evolve, or whether it's earning money from things that are related or unrelated to your creativity, right? So at its most basic, you need to know what it costs you to exist as a human, to run your creative practice, save a little bit for taxes and your own emergency fund and your retirement, and then figure out how to make that much money. Something that I've noticed with myself, because I, I wrote and co- um, co-composed the musical that I'm producing, mm -hmm. um, but I'm also producing it. And something that I've noticed is I feel like I'm trying to make a lot of other people happier when it comes to payment or I guess what I'm saying is I notice that I'm sh giving myself the short end of the stick by trying to pay other artists more because they don't make a lot through art, but I'm like, I'm losing money on my end. And I'm like, do people have that problem as well where you're trying to make everyone happy, but you're like, I'm going to really lose money if I make everyone happy. Absolutely. And I'm curious for you specifically, why do you think that is? Um, I don't really, I guess it's cause I have a good day job mm -hmm. and so I can afford, you know, whether this is a hit or a miss at the end of the day, I'll be fine. But I just feel like people are giving their time to my musical that I love and that I care about and I want to treat them right. But it's like, I want to treat them right, but I don't have the resources to. And even if I had, if it, even if I, let's say, raised all the money we, and to pay them right, we wouldn't recoup and I wouldn't. I would just lose money. 
Right. And <laughs> as you said, and it's you, my money because yeah. I'm self-investing it. And so it's like, I, and these are thousands of dollars because I already have 6,000 in a game. Wow. So it's like, I don't, I don't want to go a year of just cutting my lifestyle shorter and I don't live large, but you know, not going out to dinner or having to skip out on hanging out with friends or like going home. I don't want to cut out that part of my lifestyle for a musical just so I can pay people well. Right. And yet your initial sort of reaction is I'm okay. I want to support these other people who are giving their time and energy to this thing that I love. Right. So, but I'm really screwing myself over <laughs> if, if by doing that. And I want to, but like, and it's not even about the money. It's just about if I do this, then that is a year of my life where I am, it's coming straight from my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if, and I don't know if it'll be appreciated as much as I would want it to. Do you think you would appreciate it or is it as important that sort of the world appreciates it? I guess for me, I would like the cast and the crew to appreciate it because I don't know if I felt like it was appreciated during our off-off Broadway run. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I was eating SpaghettiOs and <laughs> I was, um, you know, barely affording to be a normal person. And so moving to off-Broadway, if it is still coming from my paycheck, uh, there's a boundary that needs to be set. And I'm just worried that um, I'll disappoint people or that they might just not be interested because the money's not there. Yeah. And you just said the most important word that you should be thinking about, which is boundary, right? Because you are the person that gets to decide, okay, how much am I willing to invest and what does that mean to me personally, right? And maybe you come to the conclusion that, you know what, it is so important that people are paid this minimum wage, right? Even if it's not, you know, where people quote unquote should be or the value of what they're contributing, right? But maybe you say it's so important that I pay people at least this much that I am willing to stop going out to dinner for six months or, you know, whatever the trade-off in your own personal budget looks like. But you are the person that gets to decide what that is. And then that informs the boundary, right? So if you say, you know what, I, I'm not willing to do that because I am a whole human and this is what it takes me to exist as a whole human. It's really important for me to cultivate my friendships. And we do that over dinner because everybody's busy other times or something like yes, that, right? My friends always go out to dinner. They're yes. the biggest foodies. And, and it's like, <laughs> you go and you eat. And if you don't go, well, if you don't, eat, then you just shouldn't go. No, right. Well, kind <laughs> but, of. Yep. I mean, you no, know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That didn't make sense. That's so not true, but they are foodies and it's something that I enjoy. And I, I don't want to like, just, I don't want to give up a big part of what's important to me for a show. That's also important to me, but I'm just worried that if I don't um, give them everything they want, then they're going to split. Right. I don't think that's true, but it's, it's just like how I feel. So I'm trying like really hard and I'm, I really do notice that I'm, um, when we did an off-off-Broadway run last year, I lost money on that because I was just trying to make everyone happy. But I just, at the end of the day, there were some people that I never felt like they really knew how much I was sacrificing just to get a show at a 30-seat theater. Right. Well, and, and was, those that's oh, where that 
financial conversation and communication can be so important, right? And and it can come up in two different ways. It can come up with your friends who are foodies and who you love spending time with, but maybe it means, you know, hey, maybe every fifth month we get together, can we maybe just come over to my house and get takeout because it's a little less expensive than, you know, going out for a really sort of delightful meal or something, right? So there's that level of communication. But then on the flip side for you as the producer, right, there's the communication to everyone who's involved. And sometimes that means being very transparent and laying out the budget and just saying, okay, here's where we are. I want to make sure everyone in the show feels valued. And I understand for some of you looking at, you know, this level of compensation, it might not feel like you're being valued, but I want to make sure you're feeling valued in compensation terms, right? So here's what the budget looks like. Here's what you're getting, right? See all of these decisions that I'm weighing and navigating. And also, are there other things I can do to help you feel valued as part of this experience? Does that mean an introduction to someone? Or do you want to come behind the scenes when I'm having a conversation with an investor because you maybe want to do this one day, right? Are there other ways of sort of opening the dialogue of communication with those you're working with so that you can indicate, listen, it's really important to me that you feel valued I can value you in this way financially, but are there other ways I can help you feel valued as well? And then, you know, maybe just listen and hear what they say because someone else might say, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm fine. I would like to donate my portion of the compensation back to the show so that we can get, you know, free glasses of champagne to pass at intermission. Because for me, setting the tone of like an exciting experience where everyone is sort of social and lingers and has conversations, that is so much more important than me getting paid or whatever the example might be. Cutting in here real fast to talk about sleep. Can you recall a time when your mom yelled at you to make your bed? Or could you recall a time waking up and your toes were coming out of the covers freezing? That is the story of my life because I don't have heat in my room. It's in my apartment, but not my room. So that's why I want to tell you about ZSOC. ZSOC is a patented bedding product which solves two major issues. The ZSOC eliminates the everyday hassle of making your bed. Let me repeat that. You'll never have to make your bed again. It also keeps your toes tucked in no matter how much you toss and turn at night. If you want warmth from your nose to your toes, you gotta check out ZSOC. Here's how you do it. Visit ZSOC.com. That has three Z's though. So it's ZZZSOCK.com. There's also a link in the notes section of this episode. This is gonna change the way you sleep. You're gonna be happy you checked it out. I definitely do think I need to work on setting expectations because um, a lot of us were in this together. We did a reading and then we did a 30 seat theater run. We did 54 below and now we're going, a lot of us are going off Broadway. But I think that I, I don't know if I've been very good at setting expectations because when you think of off Broadway, you're like, wow, this is big. This is equity. It's the big leagues. And it, it is, but it's not equity. And, and we got a really good deal at a theater. And I, I just worry that, that there's like a lot of expectations that people have that I don't, I'm not able to provide as a producer. Right. And I think talking about that vulnerability is so important. Um, a whole bunch of years ago, David Henry Huang was interviewed in the Times um, and he shared that he only made 
something like $50,000 on Chinglish, right? And so the perception was this was this massive success. It won the Pulitzer, right? And he basically said, look, $50,000 is not nothing. I'm really happy about it. But that was three or four years of work, right? So you divide $50,000 over three or four years and you realize, oh my gosh, right? Even the thing that is sort of held up in this moment as being such a phenomenal success, right? Maybe that doesn't mean it's a financial success. And so maybe we need to adjust our expectations accordingly. And I think you might be experiencing that in the context of this off-Broadway run, right? The idea that it's held up is this massive success, and it is, and you should be so proud, and it's super exciting. And also sharing with those you're working with that, okay, here's the reality of what that means. I do have a question about self-funding, because I'm the show's budget, we got to raise 13000 in order to hit opening night. And so I was really um, planning on just putting all my money in there, um, but I'm told that I shouldn't do that. Is that smart to throw all the money in or not? So it really kind of depends. And I know I hate that answer, right? But (laughs) it does depend. There are some people who will tell you, always use other people's money. Yes, I've heard that. And there, there is there's some really good wisdom wrapped up in that, right? Because then you don't take the financial hit for something, right? Regardless of of what happens, right? And you still get to participate in it, drive the ship, do all of those things, right? I think in my experience, especially with female entrepreneurs, um, there's more of um, sort of a we want to have more of our own skin in the game, right? Um, So personally, in running my business, I've never taken other people's money, right? In the form of like investors or, you know, things like that. I always wanted to kind of just do it myself um, so that I could kind of better control all the outcomes. And, you know, that's been okay. Has it meant maybe I haven't made as much money? Maybe. Who knows, right? But that's sort of something you have to kind of navigate for yourself. What's the right balance between using other people's money and investing your own? And what does that mean for you personally, but also for the production, right? I think there's certainly a really good argument to be made that if you get others involved, right, specifically in the context of investors, right, you're inviting them into this world, right, that will probably generate additional community, additional ticket sales, additional sort of support because, you know, XYZ banker who wants to kick in $5,000 will talk to his or her banker friends about what they're doing that weekend or what they're involved in, right? So, so there's this really good argument to be made that involving others goes beyond just the money and it's part of sort of a community engagement type of thing, which after all is what we do in the theater, right? We exist to engage the community in these really powerful moments. So there's probably some formula you could come up with that figures out what you're willing, based on those boundaries, to sacrifice and invest on your own. And then based on that, you say, okay, so the rest I'm going to find from others. Who are these other partners I can find? Does that make sense? Interesting. That does, yeah. Because for me, um, my, my main thing is because, I mean, my hand is already in so many parts of this. <laughs> I already wrote it, so I get royalties for that, and then co-compose it, so there's royalties for that. And so I'm, 
I'm not concerned about like the tickets and the revenue. My main thing is like the year building up to it. Do I really want to put aside a thousand bucks every single month? Um, when instead I could just ask someone who has the means to say, Hey, would you be interested to write a check for 5,000, 10,000, and then we'll hit our goal. It, it's, it's hard. For some reason, that's just so hard to ask. Um, it's just the ask, yeah. but it's easier to do, but it's very hard. <laughs> well, let's practice that. Let's pretend you're at some, you're at one of those dinners with your friends, the foodie friends, right? At some sort of amazing place. And one of them brings a random new person who says, you know, Hey, Jackie, so nice to meet you. What are you working on? Pitch me, pretend I'm that friend. Right now I'm working on an off-Broadway musical that opens at the Players Theater in a year, which is really exciting. The Players and Theater? Oh my gosh, that's super cool. I don't even know that much about off-Broadway, but that's awesome. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great venue, and we just had a 30-seat theater run last year that went really well, and we got some good reviews. So now we're gearing up for the show. Uh, so you're interested in, in Broadway and the theater world? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm sort of like an outsider. I just think it's super cool. I mean, Hamilton, of course, right? Who didn't love that? Right. And Hamilton started uh, off-Broadway as well. Did yeah. it? I didn't uh -huh. know that. Yeah, it did. And so for people uh, who maybe got in the game early with the investors, those guys are probably really making a lot of their money back these days. Totally. Yeah. Have you ever um, considered investing in theater? Oh, oh my gosh, no. I keep all of my money in ETFs and mutual funds. I'm super, super risk averse. Oh, yeah. Well, our budget is only 13000 And so we're, we have a pretty low opening investment of 500 And uh, it's a pretty good deal. I can set you up with my CPA and I can send you a budget if you're interested. So that was amazing, right? And I love how you did that, but I think there's an opportunity. <laughs> I right. can't pitch at a dinner. <laughs> sure yeah, you can. I, so, I um, you know, you, you've probably heard always be selling, right? The smarmy sort of version of using other people's money, right? So you right. can totally pitch at a dinner, but the idea of sort of um, grabbing onto the person's interest, right? I love how you took my superficial reflection of, yeah, Hamilton, right? Because as someone who's not embedded in the word world, right? You know, that's maybe where they go because that's what they heard of most recently, right? You took that, you connected it to your idea. That's fantastic. And then I think the idea of then saying, we're looking for people who are super passionate, about oh. this idea and inviting them to be sort of um, uh, an initial donor circle or a, you know, underwriter group or like, what's the name of the 10 people you're targeting to each give, you know, $1,000 or whatever it is, right? Like if there's a name for that and, you know, you can make it up and it can even be, you know, cutesy and tied into the show itself, right? If, you, oh, if there's a name for that, then it doesn't turn into, you know, what do you invest in now? Or can I put you in touch with my CPA? It's we're looking for a group of people, you know, to be this founders, whatever, right? You come up with a cool name for it. You know, oh my gosh, you might be perfect for this. 
right? And then it's the invitation to join. And it's less about, you know, for only $500 or the minimum investment is, right? Because accidentally what we've done there is anchored the person's perspective at a low price point, when in reality, maybe they could be your loan $10,000 donor, you know? So the idea of kind of inviting them to be part of this thing, right, is, is an interesting way to emotionally frame being part of the production. And sure, that comes with some investment because it's going to take 13 grand to get this thing up in the year, right? So that's part of the conversation, but it doesn't have to be the leading part. Okay. Well, that that was a great. That was amazing. I got to make a name for a group then. Um, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> We're almost out of time, but I do want to close this out with when it comes to money in general and creating, how do people deal with or overcome being just so overwhelmed that they have to raise money or fund a show? So a lot of people don't, right? I mean, that, and that's true, whether it's, you know, funding a show or raising money or even just confronting the amount of student debt you have, or the idea that, you know, you're living so leanly and wages haven't increased in the past 12 years, right? That you can't afford to set anything aside. And even when you do, something happens, right? You have a pet that gets sick, or there's a transportation issue, or there's a small flood in your building, and it's not big enough to tap into your renter's insurance, but you still have to replace this thing that got ruined. Right. So the idea of this all being really overwhelming permeates all aspects of our lives. And some people don't get past that. Right. They continue to live in sort of this barely surviving kind of mode. And, and we see that all the time. There were lots of statistics that came out in early 2019 with the government shutdown about how little people had in an emergency reserve fund. Right. So this goes well beyond musical theater well beyond off-Broadway, well beyond all sort of aspects of our life. But for the people who can sort of exhale, slow down, and take stock of where things are, and this is where both the financial savviness and the mental health knowledge of a financial therapist can be really helpful, right? If you can slow down, take stock, set some boundaries, figure out some priorities, and maybe just start small, realizing are there little things you can do to not be so overwhelmed? It's amazing how those little changes fuel bigger changes because the best way to combat that overwhelmed feeling is to have a little small victory, right? No matter what it is. And so then you can build on that and then you can focus on the future long-term goal and having someone, whether it's your financial planner, who's a really great human or your tax accountant, who just happens to also know a little bit about the emotional side of taxes and anxiety that clients face, or if it's a mental health clinician who's really comfortable talking about financial communication issues and other things that these financial issues can bring up, wherever it is, right? Get some help from someone to help you nudge forward on that path. All right. Well, is there anything you would like to add to the listeners out there? No, only that you should keep making wonderful, creative work and that you should seek support from each other and your community. And maybe don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable when talking about money with those around you. Because I can tell you in my work with clients, 
a whole lot of people are struggling with this. And the idea of forming a community and forming an open dialogue around some of these challenges can be so affirming and so supportive. Um, if you are interested in finding someone who's versed in financial therapy, the Financial Therapy Association's website has a great tool where you can find a financial therapist. But if you already have a financial person or a mental health clinician you're working with that you adore, ask them about financial therapy, because there are tons of great resources for people working in the field as well to broaden and deepen their knowledge a little bit so that they can probably meet your needs as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I learned a lot. Yay. <laughs> so, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's nice to have an open dialogue with someone who knows what they're talking about <laughs> and, and that answers some of my questions. So, um, Elaine, Thank you. You're based in the Midwest, right? I am. I live in Columbus, Ohio now. I lived in New York for about 10 years, and that's where the company officially started. Um, and I'm back a couple times a year. Uh, but yeah, I live in Columbus, Ohio, which is a super cool, thriving theater town that everyone should come and visit. Okay. So if anyone is out in Columbus, Ohio, so is Elaine. Yes. Send me an email. <laughs> I will bring friends to your show. I promise. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Jackie, it was my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your work. 